Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey guys, welcome to the 38th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Jarrett Conway on. He directed the movie Mana, which comes out on July 8th. It's a high school comedy about a bunch of kids and some bioterrorism, I guess you would say. Uh, it's super funny. He's got a ton of great insight and uh, is um, a really fascinating guy to talk about. I think Jared is one of the most passionate filmmakers I know and uh, really great in the room. And uh, his passion is infectious. So stay tuned. But first, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, so my show came out today that I've been talking about, which was previously called Miss Earth. And now it's called Miss 2059. Congrats, man. Thanks. It launched the first episode launched. If I were a listener, I would probably wait till a few episodes came out because <laughs> like I told you, the first two episodes are originally one episode and I think it flows better. But yeah, it's been kind of if you Google Miss 2059 and hit the news section, there's, uh, you know, a good amount of press on it. We'll see. I'm going to VidCon on Thursday. They're setting up this whole like gallery of like carnival games based on the show and they're playing the trailer. So I don't know. I have no perspective on whether it's good or not. Well, I watched the first episode today. I think there's a a ton of stuff to be really proud about. And I think I was listening to our Justin Johnson episode, which will be out by the time listeners are hearing this, but Justin from Indie Mogul. And we were talking about how you are what you make and how I thought that was a really awesome concept and uh, just uh, words to live by. And it occurred to me that, Oren, you're always talking about like, oh, like I want to make like, you know, a a great VFX short film. And then that's going to lead to the next step in my career and the next step in my career and the next step in my career, blah, blah, blah. Right. We always are talking about that. And it occurred to me that you got Miss 2059 because you had these Quiznos spots that you pitched on that you decided you were going to make super VFX heavy over the top. And that's how you got that job. And that's exactly what you've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I feel like it. I, I still need to make the the thing that gets passed around like all of Hollywood. But it's like I'm close. I'm like I'm kind of like knocking on that door. But I just haven't like 
knocked it down yet. Sure. So, so, you know, success often looks like something different than what you're originally expecting. And I'm not saying like, oh, you've hit the ceiling, you've peaked or something like that. But I think there is something to be said about like, you know, taking each step and saying, okay, this is the thing that I actually want to be doing. How can I make the thing that I'm working on right now more like that thing? How can I be better prepared for it? How can I prove to people that I'm the guy to do that next step project? And I know for sure if I had been given a Quiznos spot, I just would have been like, hey, let's make it funny and weird. Uh, And there's no way I would have sunk a couple months worth of time into VFX to make sure that it looks super cool and then ends up going viral and then tell people about how awesome it is and then get a person who's excited about that to pitch me on a sci-fi epic show. Yeah, no, I guess I guess you're right. Today, actually, I was offered, not offered, I was asked if I was available for a job, some video with Drew Brees of the Saints, you know, the cornerback of the Saints. Some I do not know, but I, I take your word for it. Some video where it's like, it's introducing a competition that you can spend some time with him if you win. And so it's like the concept is like Drew and me and me is like this generic person. And they were just going to cast like a very generic looking guy to play me mm-hmm. as this intro to this contest. And I was like, well, why don't we put him in like a fully green suit, you know, like a, one of those xenomorph suits and just make him a silhouette like in every shot. And then it's just kind of probably be funnier mm-hmm. a little bit, especially if they play Certainly it super weirder, straight, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh they're like, well, how do we do that? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's pretty, I think it's pretty easy. We just put them in a green suit and then just key them out and just make a silhouette. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. Like, we weren't really thinking about that. And so, as to your point, like, if you do find your own little spin that is pushing in the direction of the things you want to make, then that's cool. Speaking of direction of things I don't want to make but did make this week that was also fun is I shot this just really uh, quick intro to the NHL awards with Will Arnett and Jimmy Kimmel on Thursday. And, you know, we were supposed to have Jimmy Kimmel for 20 minutes. He ended up staying with us for like almost 40 minutes. I mean, a lot of it was just him and Will Arnett just chatting. But I'm always like really nervous when I work with celebrities because you know, I want did them you, to like say, me. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I also don't want to be like pandering. And I want them to listen to me because I'm like the director, but I don't want them to think that I need them to listen to me, you know, and mm-hmm. like, I want them to know that I respect them. And I appreciate that they're giving their time. It, it's like a really interesting balance. But those two guys happen to be like, super cool. And like, they were just in the middle of some big conversation laughing. And I was like, guys, do you mind if we like just do the blocking while you're talking and can keep talking? And they're like, made some joke about it. And they did the block. And I don't know. They, they, the it, it was fun. Man. Cause they, yeah. they were responsive to me. I don't know that they would remember my name, you know, sure, after sure. we shot that thing, but I think what we made, you know, came out pretty good given that we shot in the green room of the Jimmy Kimmel room for 20 minutes. But Anyway, so that was fun. If you watch the NHL Awards on the NHL Network, whoever has that, then maybe you'll see it. I can't wait, man. So what have you been working on lately? Hmm. I'm trying to think of stuff. Yeah, for me, it's kind of like a regular work week. I was like... Wait, isn't, isn't something considered for an Emmy Award? Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, so... Um, Orin just reminded me, I literally did forget, uh, that Shitty Boyfriends is on which the... Which is a series that Matt directed. Which is a series that I directed, is on the shortlist for the Emmys short form 
comedy competition list. Which is a new category this year. New category this year. So, yeah, so that's super exciting. You know, it's... Um, Your it's, second time being nominated for... Being considered for an Emmy in some way. Well, last year was a was a proper nomination. This year, we'll see if, if the show gets nominated. It's a pretty long list of shows. I feel like there's 20 or so very good shows. So, you know, it would be wonderful it ha- if it happens, but... Uh, I'm not holding my breath. But yeah, it's a it's a cool thing. Can you put that on your resume, like director of Shitty Boyfriends, uh, Emmy shortlist? Yeah, you know, I don't know if terminology-wise it's totally clear. Because I think basically, and this is conjecture, so take it with a huge grain of salt, but I think basically there are so many digital series out there that it's hard to kind of be expected to keep track of all of them. And unlike with TV where there's huge marketing campaigns and that you're getting for your consideration screeners and there's just general public awareness, uh, digital series have a much uh, smaller profile. So I think they just said, Hey guys, don't worry. There's only 20 shows you have to be aware of rather than the overall ocean of, of media out there. So I think this is just like the required reading list. And then we'll get our nominations based off that. So, you know, I mean, it's still going to be who the most famous people are. Right. Well, you got Lisa Kudrow. Uh, Lisa produced Sandra O stars and Sandra. Oh, and Melissa Hunter and Melissa Hunter. One of my favorite podcast guests, but speaking of podcast guests, let's take it away with Jarrett Conway. Hey Jarrett, how's it going? Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, what's up guys? Thanks for having me. Jarrett, you've got a movie called Mono, and it comes out July 8th on VOD. Yeah, yeah, VOD, like iTunes and uh, Google Play and Netflix as well. And this is your first feature? It is, my very first feature. Pretty exciting. With Fox Digital Studios? Is that right? Yeah, Fox Digital. Super dope. Pretty cool. Uh, what's uh, What's the movie about? Uh, you know, it's it's a teen comedy, a little John Hughes-esque. It's, it's, it's basically about a bunch of outcasts that take over the school when the cool kids get mono at an exclusive party that they can't get into. So mono spreads, and then they see an opportunity to um, kind of fill the power vacuum. The mono outbreak of Highland Park High was not an accident. Hey, what are you putting in Bucky's bottle? It's not what you think. It was a terrorist act. What was going on there? Some kind of rainbow party? That's one where all the girls wear the different color lipsticks. <laughs> but who were these creepsters? And why did they do such jacked up shit? We were already broken up. Mm, that's a cool idea. Reminds me of, I think it's from Hitchhiker's Guide to the, to the Galaxy. <laughs> like all the A-type personalities die because some one of them gets some some deadly virus. And, <laughs> and at all at peop, like A-type people always press the door close button on an elevator. They're the only people that press it. <laughs> and so they start spreading this virus through that door close button. <laughs> that's a, and that's everyone a that's joke. left is like kind of cool and relaxed. Uh, fun fact, the screenwriter of mono lives in my apartment building yeah he does actually so funny Ronan attended some of your parties yeah yeah so so let me just jump right into the main question Mm -hmm. how did you get fox to pay for your first feature you know uh they actually uh they actually hired me to do this i didn't i did not write the script my buddy sev ohanian so shout out to sev really successful uh indie producer who uh, I'm just going to say it, Sev, you know, he actually 
you know, he went to school with me in film school, and he went off to produce films like Fruitvale Station and The Intervention. He actually produced a film called Tenured for Fox Digital Studios. And him and I hung out after Sundance, and he said, you know what, you should take a meeting, a general meeting there. So I did, and uh, they pitched me this project. They were aware of some of the other things they had done before. And, I, you know, I pitched my take on it, and there you go. And what had you done before? Like, what, what's the minimum requirements to... Like, let's say one of our listeners wants to direct a feature for Fox Digital. Sure. Well, I had done a series for Machinima and Lionsgate uh, called Bite Me. Uh, I did two seasons of that. uh, It was a digital series? Yeah, it was a digital web series. Um, However, it was interesting about the second season, actually the first season as well, is they both aired on the FearNet channel, which is no longer around. That was a Lionsgate thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, both season one and two were online. They also aired on TV. Uh, They did a thing where we we did 10 11-minute episodes for season two, and then they were repackaged as um, 522s. Oh, cool. Uh, And it got nominated for three Streamy Awards and and stuff. So, So in the digital world, People knew me, and Fox Digital had seen that. So they watched the whole show, uh, maybe, or just the tra- you know. I do, don't know. Do maybe. you think they watched it? I'm curious. I I feel like people have never seen. They this probably just watched like a sizzle reel. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then said, "Okay, there's something kind of nice." All about the boxes that. get checked. Yeah, like ah, this guy's legit. Yeah, someone told us he's legit. He's articulate <laughs> enough. That's that why around. I want like really good trailers <laughs> for the series I do because I feel like that's the only thing I can show people. I can't ask someone to go watch something for two hours, which, in hindsight, like now just saying that out loud is just like <laughs> asking them to watch one movie. But you know these studio people, <laughs> they don't watch. They they're not going to watch twelve ten minute episodes, right? I'm sure somewhere in there, there's there's some creative executive that's forced to definitely watch all of your stuff, Warren. As um. <laughs> As a person my who used to have that job, make it through I'm, half my material. I'll, I'll be real with you guys. As a person who used to have that job, I am not certain that anyone has seen all of your stuff for sure. Yeah, Dang. no, for sure, I haven't seen all my stuff. Like, I don't think there's anyone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy. why you cut a really pretty uh, reel. Yeah, which no. I actually did show them in my meeting, in like my second meeting. So you had like like a tone reel? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I did a I did a director's reel, and then I had a music video reel, and I just said, "Hey, I know, I, I know that they they had mentioned some of the other stuff that they were aware of, you know, that, that I had done, but then I also showed them some reels. So, but music- it wasn't it wasn't like a reel for to pitch for the job. It oh, was, I see. You know, I did I did have a meeting where I went in and I kind of pitched them my take on the script and the things that I wanted to change around. I, I did get to influence the script quite a bit. And and what did you come in with for that take meeting? You know, no materials, just myself and, and, and ideas, uh, really. What did um, you wear? Uh, you know, a, a blue button-up, I think. Yeah. Trying too hard, man. Yeah, I Trying came in looking hard. real professional. <laughs> Definitely better than I'm looking right now. But, yeah, no, I think that um, we discussed the stakes in the script. It's really easy with a teen comedy for the stakes to not be... As you know, heightened, and I wanted to heighten the stakes a bit. So we kind of discussed how we might do that. We discussed, you know, I'm really big on opening shots and opening shots that say a lot about the theme and the aesthetic of the entire film. So I kind of pitched them what my version of the opening shot would be, which actually you can see in the trailer. It's oh, the nice. first, it's kind of cut up as the first shot in the trailer. And what is that? Walk us through. Yeah, it's basically a long, steady cam shot down, a, a, you know, a hallway. 
and you can see that it's the total wreck. Like there's a homecoming dance that's in process, but then you can see um, police lights that are like flashing in through the hallway. And then there's a couple making out down at the end of the hallway. So it's like, you know, mono spread through making out. So I wanted to have the imagery of making out in the very first frame. So, you know, the camera's moving down the hallway and we shot this, uh, you know, we shot it in slow motion that did a post post ramp in, Mm -hmm. in the shot. We go through the hallway and we see, you know, kids running all around. And then our two lead characters are getting pulled out by Homeland Security in handcuffs. So it was like, you got to, you know, and then there's a voiceover that kicks in. So you're like, how did we get here? You you know, like we got to figure out how these kids, it's just mono, right? But no, this is real serious. Like they're being put into, you know, they're getting arrested by Homeland Security. So what the hell? You know, so that that was, uh, that wasn't how the script originally started. And I was like, how about we start here to really get you hooked? So that was going to be my question is Mm -hmm. like, was that scripted? Because... I feel like a fix a lot of times when you have like act one problems Mm -hmm. when people are like, "Uh, Mm -hmm. it takes a really long time to get this, to get started. You know, I feel like 20 minutes in, I'm really involved, like into Mm -hmm. it. But the beginning is just like, Hey, I'm this guy and this is Mm -hmm. what I do. And here's where I work. And this is business as usual. And like funny jokes. Yeah. And, and so a lot of times it's like, we'll take the most climactic part of the, you know, where the girl's about to chop the guy's head off. She swings the ax up and then cut. Well, you just one used, week earlier. You just yeah. use that in medias res technique, you know, yeah. like right in the middle of the action. The cool thing is that there's still a lot to be revealed after that moment. Sure, sure. Which I think is pretty important so that, you know, when people get there, they're like, and honestly, I think with my film, you'll be like surprised, you'll forget that we were, that that, that ever was going to happen. So it'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, because sure, it's the very, sure. very first shot. You know what I mean? Then we get into it. Um, but then there's plenty of things that happen after that. So, yeah, I brought that up. And then, um, actually, I, you know, I had to figure out how to shorten the material mm-hmm. because the script ran pretty long. I think the first draft was about 113 pages. And with the schedule we were going to have, I, I knew that I was like, let's get to 90. That's what I wanted. And it didn't end up being 90. It ended up being 96 when I went to production. But I was I had to get it down to 90. So I found some places where I can consolidate some things. There was a lot of parties in this script. Mm-hmm. So I found a way. I was like, how about this party and this party get combined into sure. one party? What about yeah. if this party was very lame and only three people were there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those things like that. Yeah. I find a lot of times when you're like trying to get a script shorter, the writers like just start doing all sorts of scripty tricks. You know, they'll just like shorten the oh, descriptions yeah. and you're like, yeah. This is this is the exact same length script. Yeah, it's the yeah. same amount of work. Yeah, yeah. Brian and Ronan, they, tr- they may like, have tried yeah. that. Cut some characters, cut some locations, combine mm-hmm. some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like also uh, combining a character characters is almost always a great idea. Sure. Especially like a high school comedy. Like there's a ton of like mm-hmm. peripheral guys. It's like, oh, what if this one comic foil were... Yeah. The foil throughout the whole thing, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think what will surprise people though is, you know, our film's pretty tight. It's a, you know, eighty-six minutes, and there are a lot of speaking roles. And mm-hmm. I actually tried to not have any character be really, you know, superfluous. Mm-hmm. You know, I went back and I watched a bunch of different teen comedies that are, you know, can't hardly wait and super bad and Mean Girls and and can't hardly wait in particular. There's a lot of characters that come in, you know, just a little bit, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, just drop in. They're like, hey, I'm yeah. This it's like they have the, the yeah. you know, it's like the, a brother comes into the movie and he's got like yeah, he's yeah. in there for like one scene, you know. Right, and I was right. like, and I'm a brother by the way, so it's like I was like I'm gonna have a lot of diversity in my movie but they're gonna have like lines you know (laughs) so i mean we do you know we do some really i mean you know and diversity is just not you know we had like three you know latino you know teen actors you know in in there and that's not something you'd see and they all had major roles you know which i think is pretty cool yeah i you know i i think that maybe in this kind of new digital like premium digital independent feature world i think that diversity actually I feel like those people are a little more hip to like 
that being a smart move Absolutely. not not just because it's more interesting but also like it's more marketable mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think that that is a thing that that group is in particular hip to. Yeah, the show I just yeah. worked on mm-hmm. starred, you know, Anna Kana and this girl, Nikki Suhu, and they're both Asian and have a big Asian following. And we had a guest cameo from Phil from uh, Wong Fu, is that? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, yeah. That group who did Single by 30 mm-hmm. that Jared actually worked on for YouTube Red that is their their audience is primarily Asian, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. we had Asian Eric American. Ochoa uh, in our movie who's got a, yeah, you know, a great killer. Latino um, and so base. it's like that's how you tap in, you know. If you just have like generic white guy, there's plenty of those in my movie. <laughs> at least half the cast. You know, we actually had quite a bit of social media influencers. Uh, you know, I can talk about that a, a bit because sure, you know yeah. that was definitely coming into the project. The studio told me, "Say, look, we're making this type of film, and there's a new wave of these movies that are getting made at um, all the all the studios uh, using social media influencers paired up with traditional teen stars. So we we had some recognizable teen stars like Sam Lerner, who was in Project Almanac and Monster House, and he's on the Goldbergs. And we had Catherine Newton, you know, who was a star panel on Activity 4, and she's on a new HBO show. You know, but then we also had Brandon Bowen, who's a Vine star, Eric Cho, who's a Vine star, Christian Del Grosso, Jake Paul. So it was pretty, pretty great, actually. Did you find them different Eric Cho to direct? Eric YouTube star, sorry. Like, were they, did you have to... I'm assuming, what, what and, and it's probably wrong of me to traditional. assume, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. but that the traditional actors had studied acting and that the YouTubers, Viners, were more kind of relying on their personality and their instinct and their, yeah, their experience. Well, you know, that can be a pretty exciting thing, specifically with a comedy. And I think it makes sense with this genre when you, you know, because the way the studio is looking at it is, you know, okay, we can look for, you know, a 16-year-old kid with no fan base uh, who might be funny, you know, and, and he's building his credits. Or you have a kid that comes in, he's already got 10 million fans, and this is what he does, like, every day. And he's, like, finely tuned that craft of making people laugh, you know, millions of people laugh, which is perfect for this this type of genre. Right. Know? But, like, like, if you look at a movie like Whiplash, for instance, mm-hmm. like, could you just bring some YouTuber and have them play the Miles Teller part? Um, you know, look, I, I don't know if we're going to find the next Michael Fassbender uh, off of Vine. You know, it's a particular format geared towards, I think, sure. comedy. So, I, I, I mean, I'd be excited to see a dramatic actor break through via, you know, social media. But I will say this, you know, a lot of those actors also uh, have traditional background and training. And, they, and some of them just started, they kind of started doing the Vine as a way to get seen, as a way, an opportunity right. to get seen. I mean, a perfect example. We have Mary-Kate Wiles, you know, in our movie. And, sure. You know, she, she's... Huge fan. Yeah, you're a huge fan, right? And, you know, I consider her to be a traditional actress, even though she's built up a fan base via a lot of, um, you know, web series. Right. Yeah, no, and, and I don't mean to be so negative no, about you. No, I mean, no, I think, like, totally cool. like Anna Akana, who's mm-hmm. on our show, she is... She started as like a stand-up comic, and she's taken an acting class, and mm-hmm. she like cares about acting. But she's I've fantastic. Worked, I've worked with YouTubers that do not; they just kind of sure. fell into this. They yeah. they're more like the jackass guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were fortunate. The ones you know, you know, the, the, the guys that were um, on our set, they all um, they all behaved themselves. They were great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always I liken it to most of these vine or most of these social influencers. They're small entrepreneurs, right? They're performing every single day, but they're also brand managers, Mm -hmm. social media marketers, SEO, like the community managers. They're doing all of these other things. Mm -hmm. And so I think in comedy, I think it makes the most sense because, you know, Jim Carrey didn't like know Uta Hagen just the same way like Mm -hmm. these kids don't, right? But 
you know, they're 20 years old. Who fucking cares? I don't know. Jim Carrey probably knew Una Hagen. Na- now he does. He was just a stand-up <laughs> comic. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And when I say just a stand-up comic, that's not to be derisive. But uh, what I'm saying is that, you know, maybe these kids aren't groundlings, which is a, a, probably a, a better comparison or a more apt comparison. But they right. are hitting stage time via Vine the same way. You know, Sunday Company is like looking to put up a show every. I mean, day. they're definitely doing it every day. You know, um, and in the case of someone like, say, you know, Jake Paul, you know, he just got cast as a series regular on on Nickelodeon. I'm sorry, not Nickelodeon, Disney. So he has his mm-hmm. own Disney show now. So oh, you, know, cool. you know, so a lot of them, I think, uh, are getting smart to like breaking through it traditionally, um, and these movies could be stepping stones for that. Yeah, I guess uh, my analysis on my kind of realization I had this year about. Like YouTube performers versus like the kind of the social media sure. performers versus the traditional dramatic performers mm-hmm. is that social media encourages you to kind of wear your heart on your sleeve, be super transparent. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. coming out. Hey, mm-hmm. I really want to tell you how I feel today. Hey, you know, I, it's all about sharing the truth and drama. It's all about like what you don't say, you know? It's all about subtext. It's like doing one thing and meaning another thing. Um, and so it's kind of like it, the opposite type of performance. And, and there, there's something hard about getting people that are just so used to like saying what they think to say the opposite of what they think. You well, know? you know, I, I mean, look, that's like, that's my job as the director to come in there and work with all these different ingredients and see how they work. And, and what's cool, especially with the comedy, is sometimes you want to have you know, characters that come in and that are broader mm-hmm. in their style of comedy, you know, so that we, especially we have such a large cast. So that's what's kind of exciting about it. But, but you know, the other thing to, to speak on that note about the social media influencer thing is that, you know, these aren't just, um, they, they're not just posting pictures on Instagram, even though right. they may have, you know, plenty of great pictures on Instagram as well. Like they're also, the Vine, the Vine actors, I mean, they're, they're producing content and storytelling constantly. I think you have to be careful if you're just casting you know, influencers that you're like, wait, what do they do? Mm-hmm. You know, they take pictures. Right. Um, you were looking for the whole package. Yeah, we were, you yeah. Know, and, and everyone auditioned for me. Everyone. I mean, there were definitely, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, there was definitely um, some people that didn't want to audition and they didn't get cast. You know, I said, okay, well, if you're not going to audition for the movie for a lead in a studio project, then. Okay, then I won't cast you. But everybody, you know, everyone, well, yeah. you know, everyone came through. If you get the audition, I feel like that's all that matters. But there's yeah. people that are like huge fashion bloggers with like three million subscribers that want to be, you know, on Desperate Housewives or whatever. Yeah, and they, but they've never studied acting. They've just gone right. on camera and they're sure. really, you know, charismatic and they're really good at speaking to people, but they're mm-hmm. not good at embodying a character mm-hmm. necessarily. We sure. did chemistry reads as well. You know, we did chemistry reads as well. And there were definitely people with, you know, I mean, most of my cast have those levels. They have millions and millions of fans and they were just very humble and came in and, and just wanted to just wanted to make a good movie. They really enjoyed the script and they wanted to make a good movie. I mean, you, you don't uh, build that sort of fan base if you're not a tenacious, intelligent person. Mm-hmm. And so some people know that that's not necessarily the path that they want to go down. And some people know that, you know, it's about the work, right? Mm-hmm. I think the other thing I, I'm curious to learn 
did you find a difference between YouTubers and Viners, right? Because YouTube is very confessional style. Like mm-hmm. oftentimes you're addressing the camera directly. But I find that Vine, especially like comedy Vine, mm-hmm. it's really six second sketches. It's so like you have jokes. to create well, yeah, yeah. jokes, but also like you have to set up two different characters oftentimes mm-hmm. to play off of each other. Like, yeah. like you're transporting people instantly through sometimes some very broad or recognizable tropes but uh but still you're doing it very quickly yeah you know on set you don't really uh, notice any difference i think that that you don't call them vineys and youtubers no (laughs) No, the the difference really just comes purely in the pre-production and casting phase when you're you know scouting talent you're working with your casting director and the different mediums you're looking at to to assess talent in the first place and say okay yes this person is it's worth us pursuing Mm -hmm. you know um, based on the talent they have you know here and sometimes it's hard to tell based on vines if if they could translate that skill into a long format but Mm -hmm. you know yeah for my experience the YouTubers can memorize about three pages worth of uh, script and the uh, Viners about an eighth of a page. <laughs> That's so. funny. No, our guys our guys uh, were able to do plenty more than that. Two eighths on a good day. <laughs> on, a, on a long vine. Um, well, cool. So what's next for you? Uh, what's next for me? Well, you know, I'm looking forward to the movie coming out, seeing how people respond to it. I, I'm working with a company called Lifeboat. I think I can say that. I'll just say it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. There's a company uh, called Lifeboat. They're pretty awesome. And uh, so they've attached themselves as producers to another project of mine. Also has kind of a youth-driven, but this is an action, youth-driven action piece. And it's a script you wrote? Uh, I wrote it with uh, two really great writer friends of mine, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. They, they write a bunch of comic books. And um, yeah, they're, they're pretty great. And you guys are all three equal partners in it, but you're the director? Uh, I'm the director, and I uh, like basically I wrote like a 20-page treatment, and then they came on board and they executed a draft, and then did like four rewrites based on my notes. Oh wow! Yeah, and this might be way too personal. Sure, you can definitely cut it out if you don't want to talk about it. But did you pay them? I did not pay. I know I did not pay them. Um, they, they will get paid, of course. <laughs> but you know, really, it was a situation. You know, we've just been friends for a really long time. We all went to USC together i was in the grad program they were in undergrads and we also partied together and i remember uh drunken drunkenly at, at one party they were like look we really want to write a script you know we want to write a script with you and i was like nah man like you don't want to work, work with your friends because like i'm not gonna be able to sure. pay you when i'm broke why would you want to do that it's like because you're awesome and we were big fans of your work and we want to do that and i think like two years later i finally said okay sure like if you want to do that and then I gave them this 20-page treatment, and they read it, and they were like, oh, oh my God, like this is really cool. Um, and, yeah, they had some time to, to hammer out another spec, and they went to work on it, and they wrote a really amazing script, and Lifeboat really loved it. And so they're wow. shopping that around now, so we'll see. Make that sound so easy. I yeah. might steal that. <laughs> see if it works. Ah, yeah. cool. There's yeah. a, Wait, a, you don't have to write a script yourself? Yeah, there's a screenwriting awesome. team that wants to take my treatment, <laughs> turn it into a feature, and let me know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, it's definitely unfortunate. They're really talented writers. And, and I'll give them a plug, by the way. They have the, their own uh, monthly series called Joyride uh, with Boom Studios. It's an issue number three. It's my favorite oh, cool. comic out right now. And what's um, what's this project about? Um, what, what, what will I say about it? I'll, all I say is it's a, it's like a YA diehard. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Sold. And it's supposed to be Sign part of like a Fran, like a multi. Uh, if movie. I could be so lucky and sure. But like yes, I did, I did way. conceive it as something that could be, but it, it's very much a standalone movie 
it tells it, you know, a beginning it has a beginning, middle, and end. But yeah, it definitely uh, could be spun off into more films. I'm thinking about that. One. So the second one will basically be a rehash that's not very good, but then the third <laughs> one will be really good, <laughs> and then it'll get kind of crappy again. Yeah, but yeah. It, you'll still make a ton of money. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Great. hopefully, if, if I'm so lucky. <laughs> yeah, we actually, you know, it's funny when we first wrote the script. Uh, we wanted John Boyega. It was like after Attack the Block, and we we're like, Fuck John Boyega, it's him. You know, that that's oh, who, so the lead was written with him in mind. Of course, would never get him now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know. We'll see. There's, there's, um, you know, we, we all have big reps, you know, so, so hopefully, uh, they'll be able to help make something happen. Well, I think Matt was looking for a segue and you just gave it to him <laughs> because we wanted to talk about like agents and managers and how useful they are, in your opinion. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you just said yeah. that, that you guys all have big reps. Mm-hmm. What's your, you're at William Morris, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm at WME. I've been there for about, I want to say three years. And have they, I, Matt and I were speaking mm-hmm. earlier today, you know, Matt really would like a top agent. Mm-hmm. I don't have an agent, mm-hmm. but I very firmly believe that given kind of the materials that I have available, an agent couldn't really do anything for me. Well, well I mean, you don't have an agent, but you have a house and I have three <laughs> roommates, so someone's doing better. Well, it's a, it's a pretty nice house. Over. <laughs> Super Thanks. nice. <laughs> no, no one's taking your ten percent. Um, could have bought a house with no, the no. I do, have a, I do have a manager and a lawyer, and together they take fifteen percent. There you so, go, boy, boy. When you do the math of like manager, agent, lawyer, twenty five percent of your income—that's rough. Okay, right? this that's is what I'll say real. about all that. You know, sometimes people ask me, they're like, uh, "Should I get a manager? Should I get an agent?" You know, and I say, uh, you know, how much are you making? Well, nothing. I'm like, well, ten percent of nothing is nothing. So shut up. Yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think. Wait, wait, sorry. <laughs> By that you mean yes, you should, and don't worry about what they take, or uh, they're not going to want. Look, look. Basically, representation justifies itself from the business standpoint of things. You know, they, or the financial standpoint, they justify themselves if they can get you at least one percent more than you would have made. Mm-hmm. You know, so at the end of the day, well, ten percent, ten percent more. Yeah. So like, you know. 11, let's say, you know, 11% more yeah, yeah. then, right? They take their 10%, you get a 1% profit. That's what I mean, right? right? And, you know, in the case of um, WME, they certainly have negotiated contracts that were better than what I would have been offered without them. So, yeah. I you mean, know, I made more money than even after paying them that I would have made before. And did they do anything other than mono? Yeah. Uh, actually, they, they were not involved in me getting that job. But they did close the deal on that job, though. So you still paid them for that? Yes. Yes, I did. I always joke about how, I mean, I think this room is a perfect example of like, it's three nice guys, right? And who like love making things. Mm-hmm. So like if a company was like, hey, we'll give you $2 to go make this thing, but you'd really like to make it. <laughs> we're all like, okay, let's do it. Sure. Right. And and your representation is there to kind of like be like, well, hold on. Let's like make sure that you're, you know, yeah, paying your mortgage, right? Yeah. I want to pay back my film school education. Right. right. I don't. I mean, right. if I ever get a job that allows me to do that, then I know I'll, I'll That's I'll why I have a house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I didn't go to film school. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> to, to speak to speak more about the reps thing cuz you know, I, I you know, I I got a manager out of out, you know, when I right out of school, I'm not currently with that management company anymore, but we're still good friends. And then uh, actually the guys that I was talking about, Jackson Lands and Colin Kelly, are part of the reasons why I got signed to WME. Because uh, they were, they had a, an agent there that was looking for some clients in the digital mm-hmm. division, and I had done Bite Me, and that led to me getting signed there. And actually, that agent is no longer there; he is now an executive at Full Screen. Mm. But you know, so I got signed to WME, and then it was like, "Can you create a project?" So I created this project that went out digitally, 
and I had Tim Kring, who created Heroes, attached. Sure, and that's yeah. one of those things. Like, I couldn't get access to Tim Kring. Couldn't get access to the creator of Heroes right. without WME. But he's a client, and he liked my pitch book. And, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, we sent it to, you know, Timur Bekmamatov, and we sent it to Ridley Scott, and we sent it to Tim Kring. Next thing, it's like, okay, go to, the, go to Tim Kring's set, and he's... He's going to be, you know, on set with, you know, Keith or Sutherland. So I go to Santa Monica and he's like doing a, what was that show? A Touch, I think it was called, yeah, in the yeah. second season. Yeah, touch, yeah. And I was there sitting and watching the premiere be filmed with Tim Kring looking through my booklet, my pitch book for for an idea that I had. Yeah, yeah. You're like in between takes. Like, oh, Yeah, and out. like Maria yeah. Bello's there and Keith or Sutherland. And, you know, we have a little meeting on set and he's like, oh, cool. I want to do this. How do, how do we make this happen? And I'm like. You know, like that's why it's good to it was have a agents. show or a movie. Yeah, well, it was a digital series that I would have directed when, and I would have been involved in like writing. And actually, so what ended up happening is it, it didn't sell digitally, and that was about a year process. And then some TV networks got wind of it, and we sold it as a television show. And then my team expanded at WMA, and I got TV reps. Uh, so CW bought it in 2013, it was developed, but then ultimately didn't get filmed as a pilot. So there is a future or alternate dimension, Jarrett, who has a bigger house than you. But <laughs> right. Sadly, that is not this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, the size does not matter. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the, the the universal wisdom is like, don't worry about representation until it's time that you actually need them. They'll they'll knock on your door they'll when knock. it's ready, right? Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll knock. Well, I had, I'm, I apologize if I, I've talked about this on the podcast no, before, but... Jared says it's fine because he's never listened to the podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> but I... You should check it out. It's pretty good. So I made this movie, right? My first feature I got... I definitely uh, will not listen to this one. I hate the sound of my own voice. I got uh, repped off that movie at Anonymous Content. as They were my managers. And I was kind of trying to pitch them ideas and trying to get them involved in my projects. And I was shooting this thing for Disney at the time. And, you know, I tried to get them to come visit the set and just be involved in mm-hmm. my career and they just had kind of way more interesting clients, I think, at the time. Sure. And so I, my lawyer, who's the one that hooked me up with them in the first place, I was like complaining to him. It's like, I keep calling him. I keep telling him to come to set. I keep like sending them mm-hmm, ideas. Mm-hmm. And they're just like barely ever call me back. Like, what's the deal? And he said, you know, come to my office. Let's talk. So I go to his office and he's like, look, you got to think of your, your managers as salespeople. <clears throat> like, you give them content and they sell it. Without you giving them material, they're sure they can add, they can like forward you a script that nobody else in town wanted, you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be good. But unless you have material to give them, you're giving them, you know, tr- treatments, pitch decks, new reels, like ideas for things that they can't do anything for you. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, look, it's so tricky. It's one of those things where it's like, Look, passion is what's important, passion from you and passion from them. And it's got to be kind of a two-way partnership. And I was fortunate when I first got there. I had a very, very passionate, you know, agent. He was a new agent, but big agency. And I gave him something. And he was like, yes. And he went off with it immediately. And and fortunately, many of my pitch books, they were like, yes, we like this too. And And then there were times when they were like, we don't like this. Yeah, well, people talk about the honeymoon phase, right? So when you first sign, if you've got some like some nitro here you go this is the thing go sell it yeah just made that relationship you know like in a real relationship people are just so excited and ready to go for it Mm -hmm. and that really sets the tone for the future of your relationship with that company right i think i know what you're saying that is the same thing i'm saying is that i didn't really have any pitch books Mm -hmm. i just had like ideas 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you need more than that. You have to try to visualize it. And it needs to practically be sold already, which is what mm-hmm. I did. I'm fortunate that I have you know, a graphic designer and, and VFX company that, I've, that I've, I've worked with, and I've known these guys since we were like 15 years old. So if you're interested, you can check out you know, chargefield.com and check them out. But they've worked with me for several years, and they put together my pitch books and, and such. So I'll write them up. We'll you know, make a Google Doc, and I'll write everything up, and then I'll pull images from the Internet, and we'll talk about what it should look like and put something really sexy together that practically looks like it's already made. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you have any examples that we can maybe share with our listeners? <sighs> you know, if you, go to, if you go to Chargefield and you look at, like, a lot, you'll see a lot of things that they've done for me there, like... Um, but I don't actually have any of those pitch books, unfortunately, out. Could I pull some of their photos and share them with the viewers on our site? Yeah, sure. Cool. All right. Yeah, yeah. Then check out the show notes, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely show you some of that. But look, you know, one the one thing that look the the project that I had uh, have with Lifeboat right now. You know, um, I definitely had challenge. It was cha- tried to get that mobilized before, and you know, you have to believe in your work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I said, this is a great script. And it doesn't matter whether so-and-so thinks it's good or not. I'm just going to keep sending it out until someone thinks it's good. You know, and, and I was fortunate that... And you really thought it was good. I knew it was good. I mean, I know it's good. It is good. <laughs> that, that's what I want to talk about for <laughs> you know? real right there. That, yeah. That's what I love about Jared. Yeah. Is like, I feel like you, maybe maybe more than any other director I know, like your your confidence in your ability, when, when you've locked in, when you know something is good, mm-hmm. you're not shy about saying so. Sure. Right. And that to me, when Oren asked, like, oh, like, how did you get mono or like, how did you get this other project off, off the ground? That's the answer. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's fucking awesome and you're not shy to say about it. Say that. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, with all this, it's about, I mean, being a director is just about having a vision, you know, and, and there's probably multiple visions that could make a good project. But I right. think, you know, tying in a little bit to getting mono, it's like you, you walk into the room because, you know, I did have to go to the Fox lot and sit and, a boardroom with a bunch of executives, and that can be intimidating. But I am not intimidated when I go and onto these lots. Like I've been in a lot of boardrooms, and I know what I'm talking about, and I know I, what I want to do, you know. And I right. just go in there and I say, "This is how we're going to do it. We're going to shoot it, you know, at 120 frames per second on a Steadicam. We're going to do it just like this, and the lights are going to be coming from here and here." And I, t- I paint the picture I'm like, "This is how we're going to do it." And what if they say, "Oh, you know, we kind of imagined it being like a little bit more like handheld, like." Uh, gritty, you know, no, they, doc they've, style. They've never what would said you that. say? I uh, said, so, well, maybe your version of the movie will look like that, but my version of the movie is going to look like a steady cam at 120 frames per second with lights <laughs> coming in like that because I'm directing it. <laughs> and, and to be real, though, like, that's all they want. Yeah. They just want someone to be like, hey, this is exactly how to make it good. Yeah. And they, yeah. They, really all they want is, like, for it to be good. And, yeah, they're going to, like, maybe make some suggestions here or there. Sure. But, like, I think most executives think that they're very good about supporting a person's vision. I mean, it's support. It's, it's, it's definitely collaborative to some extent, you know, I mean, some of the executives at Fox digital have been directors themselves, you know, so they had ideas and they said, well, you could do it this way. And, but ultimately they said, you know, these are suggestions, you know, they, they really did stay off my back, you know, on set and they let me shoot it the way I wanted to shoot it. Sometimes they would encourage me to shoot it again. You know, we, we did a lot of like really long winners. Mm hmm in the movie and on this type of schedule, which maybe you haven't gotten into, but on this type of schedule, you will be surprised that we attempted to do some of the shots that we did too. How many days did you shoot Monowin? Uh, 14. 14. God damn. Four, 14 days. 14 days. Cool. That's yeah. Almost two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, 
it was across three weeks. It was like five, five, and four. And it's just like, really, couldn't you give me like one more? Like she, I yeah. tried to, I was like, just give me one more day. Like, yeah, yeah. I definitely begged for it, but no, I didn't. Did no reshoots or pickups or B-roll? No, no um, we, we stole a camera and, and shot the outside of a hospital. Mm-hmm. And like, like, I, ex- like establishing yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah. We did that on one day. Did one you use any stock footage in your cut? Nope. No, there was stock footage. I think in the edit, and then I was like, "Well, we're not, we can't pay for that stock footage." So I was like, "Okay, well, it's cheaper to steal a camera." I guess I'll go get a camera and I'll go shoot a hospital, which was better anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. ultimately doing it that way. Yeah, so but I, that's challenging. Yeah, I have this meeting with this company called Dichotomy. Have you guys heard of them? Mm-mm. Next week, I guess someone that was like part of that Paramount film, like I think the low budget film division, like In Search. Yes, yes, part someone from there I think started this company, but really interesting premise I, I might be butchering it but it's something along the lines of they're kind of following the blumhouse model but their their idea is like what if we designed a studio that didn't know anything about the, the history of how you make movies and just looked at the tools we have available to de- test today the filmmakers we have available to test today the distribution we have available to test today and design a filmmaking paradigm that uh, works for that so like you know now we have we're all shooting digital we're mm-hmm. all editing on our laptops, right? Mm-hmm. So editing's not expensive and shooting's not expensive and cameras aren't expensive. So given that, they, they're basically trying to do, I think I think they're doing like $3 million movies, maybe three or four million, let's say four million. And they will give you like three million to shoot for 20 days. Then you have like a month to edit and then they give you a million dollars to shoot for another five days to basically fix everything that's wrong with the movie. Wow. And that's just every movie. That's, that's the model. That's just the plan. And, huh. and so they schedule the cast. Everyone is like scheduled for those like yeah, the, sh- yeah. the main shoot and the reshoot or pickups. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, I'm friends with a DP that did Like Crazy. Uh, if you guys have seen that mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. It did really well. And that's how they shot that movie too. They'd shoot some scenes. They'd edit it. They'd shoot more scenes. They'd edit, see what's working, what's not working. And it's like always been my dream to like you know, because because like what you're saying, like you're shooting this thing and the, you shoot this whole movie, you have 14 days and then you have to edit it. And then like things aren't working and you're like trying to steal cameras and trying to get exterior shots mm-hmm. and trying to bring and the you, end of the movie to the and beginning. And you finally know what you would have done to right. make it work. Yeah. And so what if you build the whole filmmaking model to be based around, we know we're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. in production. Let's build in the, the fix it time. So I thought, I thought it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think with you know, you just have to embrace whatever you're because you're not gonna you're not gonna say no. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Studio, it's an opportunity to work on the Fox lot. I was like, I got an opportunity to make my first movie on the Fox lot. I hired my best friend, who's you know my editor. Did you guys shoot on the on the lot? Um, no, there. I mean, there was nothing that was no, no. We we shot mostly in the valley, some stuff downtown, but you know there were a lot of locations. Honestly, I think yeah. people would be surprised by how many locations we had. And it's all location work. It's like there's no um, stage work at all. There, you know, there was a stage, uh, kind of a stage, like stage downtown. It wasn't really. It's more like a set. It's like a hospital set and some uh, okay. things. You know, wait, which one was that? I think I, I think I know the one <laughs> you're talking I about. I can't remember I, the name. Yeah, of it. I can't Center remember. City, you you park that's, that sounds Central right. City. Well, there's there's there. center stage, but yeah. the, but the, you park underneath everything, and it's just like a warehouse that looks like a I believe, hospital. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that there's like I think they're condemned now. I'm not sure. It's real creepy though. 
Uh, a I little mean, creepy. It yeah. wasn't not not the way we lit it. You know, when we sure. were doing our scenes, it wasn't particularly creepy. Yeah, but you could but imagine. We, but we it ended was up, you know, using. Yeah, we shot like a a couple of things there. We also shot at uh, Earth Two Comic Books, which is uh, there's an Earth Two down the street from me. It's my local comic store, and we, you know, I got to know the, the owner there, and we shot at his Northridge location. Uh, and those, that was the location. I was like, we have to get that. That was actually one of the things that I changed in the script because there's a scene where a guy. Uh, gets dumped by his girlfriend very early on, and it was originally just in like a park. And I just didn't feel like the park location said anything about the internal state of the character. I said, "How can we, you know?" Because really, it was about that, you know, this distinction of like he's not growing up and he's mm-hmm. you know, a little bit too juvenile. And so I was like, "How can I surround him with something that's you know speaks to his character in, in that moment?" So we picked a comic book store and we made like custom comic books with like. With actually, I had like a superhero getting kissed on one of them in the background because I was again trying to plant like kissing for Mana like anywhere I could. And we made a fake V for Vendetta called W for War that makes an appearance in there, and it actually plays into thematically into the movie as well. Because there, if you know anything about V for Vendetta, there was a disease in that movie that was essential to like the plot of the movie, and it plays in at a very specific plot point in our story. So there's a lot of little Easter eggs if anyone's a nerd and they're. They care to pay attention. <laughs> I wish you guys could see the grin on Jared's face. <laughs> yeah, I'm like so it's like happy so, with myself. It's like, so excellent. It's yeah. like the best. No, though. I think that's no, super awesome. No, it's so yeah. awesome. And I think like yeah. one of the, you know, as a director, sometimes it's hard to see what work we do specifically. But mm-hmm. I think like picking locations, at least in my experience, I'm the only one that like really cares about locations. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, production the producer designer, just wants it like the producers want to know, like, is there parking? Like, what, what's the yeah, power situation? Or is it easy? Like, what's wrong know? with this house? Okay, here's another house. What's wrong mm-hmm. with this house? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, house sucks. Yeah, what's, what's wrong, wrong with, with this it? place? It's small. It's ugly. It's, there's nowhere to put lights. And, and it's like, when you find this great location, it's mm-hmm. like such a big deal. And the producers don't care. Production mm-hmm. designers, I mean, a lot of times they just want to build sets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really big on, like, you know, every department and every element, every decision you make should be furthering the story and the character. So I remember, um, you know, because, the, you know, Thematically, the movie is also about power, really, is what it's about, ultimately. Uh, we were looking, you know, I was looking for ways to elevate a particular character in the frame. So when I was looking at the houses, I was looking for, like, these opulent staircases. And mm-hmm. I was like, he needs to be, you know, up here giving his, like, speech to his, like, disciples. And we found, like, one house that even though it had, like, a Spanish villa exterior, which I wasn't crazy about, it mm-hmm. had the staircase, and I was like, this is an important moment, and I know I can shoot it like this. And I was like, okay, that's why we're picking this location, yeah. because it has a bal- and it also has a balcony where I can have him again speaking down to everyone. So that's actually in the trailer a little bit. You'll see it. there's a scene where the guy is on a megaphone, and there's some people down below mm-hmm. cheering. And I knew I wanted that, to, you know, visually I needed that. So, you know, that's how you choose your locations, at least for me. And do you have uh- – like having like you just finished up everything right that you're totally done Mm -hmm. do you have any like tips that you would give to Jarrett from a year ago like going into mono oh wow going into mono gives a year ago Jarrett Mm -hmm. like directing tips right directing tips are just just you know and any any nuggets of information whether it's like oh expect this or fight for that or mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. don't be surprised when this happens when donald trump is the presumptive <laughs> candidate or nominee um yeah you know I, look i got pretty pretty lucky with this movie i think uh there were a lot of battles to be fought and a lot of compromises but i think i ultimately won a lot of the battles i wanted to win and i and and the and some of the 
And I lost some that I, I sh- I'm glad I lost mm-hmm. as well. And I think that's one of the things I would tell myself is that, you know, you know, fight as many battles as you can, but understand that sometimes when you, when something bad happens or it appears to be bad at the time, you didn't get something or that you wanted, uh, that just means that something better may come along and you'll be like, thank God I didn't get that thing that I wanted because now I got this instead and it made it better. And that happens like through every like aspect from casting. I mean, we, we definitely had actors that we cast that mm-hmm. dropped out and then we got better actors. I mean, I, I don't mind saying it. it's like our lead actor, we cast 48 hours before shooting. Because we lost, uh, uh, you know, someone else. Yeah, yeah, and he was like a godsend. He, a godsend. He was he was amazing, you know. Um, and then there were just you know smaller things like there were songs that we had in the cut since the beginning, and it was mm-hmm. like we're gonna get that song, we're gonna get that, song, we're gonna get that song, and it's like you can't have that song. It's like what are the options? Oh, this song is better. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I mean. So like that happens constantly. So just be open to that. Oh yeah, I, to me <laughs> it's funny because with the with the songs, I always feel like. You just so fall in love with it, your temp music and your temp color and your temp everything. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I, we just did the sound mix for Miss Earth like two weeks ago. And I mean, the whole time everyone was like, well, we kind of like the temp a little better. We like the temp music. We like that. Yeah, yeah. When we did the score, we like mm-hmm. kind of like the temp better. And so just to me, it's like if you go into a movie knowing that that's just the thing that happens, that when you hear music like a thousand times, mm-hmm. when you change it, you're going to not like it. Like, uh, I don't know, I'm really big on just like playing stuff for other people and seeing and having them, mm-hmm. you know, kind of give their feedback and then you can kind of get out of your head a little bit. But yeah, temp yeah, stuff. yeah. I mean, we ended up we have a lot of songs in our movie and it was really, um, you know, we had a great music supervisor who's done a bunch of big movies, you know, especially with a teen movie, you know, mm-hmm. I th- I it's think really so, important. It's so important. I mean, it's always important, but especially a teen movie. Like I think the studio really like, realized that later on. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, crap. Like, you know, we need this. You know, we had like Jay-Z songs in the temp version, you know, I was like this could be really awesome. Like I Jay-Z's Forever Young in this homecoming sequence. And it was just so great. And I was like, OK, I can't get that. But, you know, what was helpful was that then when we got our music supervisor, they were like, this is the tone, this is the style that they're going for. And I mean, there were even times when I was like, I literally want something that has a mashup of like 80s, because you know, like that song pulled from like an 80s song. By Alphaville? Yeah. That maybe played at my camp every <laughs> camp dance. Right, and then it had hip hop over it. So then suddenly it becomes, okay, let's find a song that has a structure, that has right. a feel or a vibe. You know, and then I maybe just look for something where the rhythm changes at a certain point in it. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, even the songs can tell the story. So right. it's like I need something here, this little like Nicki Minaj, you know, for the cheerleaders to tell the story that they're like a little hypersexualized how they're dancing in the sequence. Can we find something that's a little bit like Anaconda? You and, know. And did you think like if you're using if you're temping in like some of the biggest acts right now, mm-hmm. is it easier maybe uh, to find like a sound alike or something to compare it to? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, instead of like a weird obscure cut, it's like, okay, well, Jay-Z, your music supervisor knows the exact track you're talking about. And people can say like, yes, this is like that track. Yeah, I actually think that's that's probably pretty helpful at the end of the day. I mean, because then what they, they literally gave me like a PDF that would have like the song that I had Mm -hmm. and then all the different options. And they would give me like 10 songs for each song. So I probably had... 30 songs in my movie, so I probably listened to somewhere between 175 and 300 songs as options that my music supervisor gave me. And then it became like, what part of the song am I cutting in? Mm -hmm. Which was like, it would be crazy, because sometimes you listen to a song, you know, like, this song doesn't work, but this 20 seconds of the song is perfect. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and you have to literally like kind of listen for everything. Like, how can I like enhance the story with, particularly with the teen comic the lyrics? I mean, like maybe I'm just on the nose with that, but like I like doing that with the music because it can be a subliminal thing that all adds up. And, and did you find that you were getting maybe a better deal or like people were cutting you a, a, a rate because it was a feature and because, you know, exposure was going to be a part of the the payout? For you that? know, look, I, I had nothing to do with that. So um, they definitely worked, I'm sure, miracles to, mm-hmm. to get me as many songs as they did. I mean, there was uh, a relationship I had with us with an influencer, an artist, a buddy of mine named Chad Future. I've done like six, seven music videos for him. And he actually has a, a, sh- a show on full, sc- a full screen show coming out July 15th called Chad Future TV. So there's a little shout out to him. But he gave me three songs from an album he's putting out. And, and it was perfect for what I needed, you know, for the movie for big party music that sounds sure, well produced. Sure. So I know he hooked it up for a fair rate. Cool. Well, it might be that time. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> so, Jared, how can we find out more about Mono? Yeah, um, you know, you actually can pre-order the film now, uh, if you're excited about it, at monothefilm.com. Follow us on Instagram at uh, monomovie. And uh, on Twitter, it is monothemovie. So, uh, also, um, I believe it's monomovie on Facebook as well. Cool. Well, before we end... We're going to we do a segment called Unpaid Endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement is for the director's commentary on Beginners, the movie, which is a Mike Mills movie. Uh, listeners may remember that I was an intern for the Director's Bureau, which was Mike Mills's commercial and music video production company, along with Roman Coppola and a handful of other people. So I've always, always looked up to him. And for whatever reason, was like a little nervous about listening to the listening to the commentary just because i was a narcissist and like was like worried that somehow he was going to be like oh i had a stupid intern once upon a time which is utterly idiotic and i know that but for whatever reason i just didn't listen to it for a long time and i just uh listened to it the other night it's incredible it's like so good and it reminds you of how wonderful that that movie is and more importantly uh reminded me of kind of the fundamentals of the sort of director that i want to be you know, he takes a very holistic approach to filmmaking and story and and how to work with actors and how to work with camera. And the thing that really struck me that he talks about a lot throughout the whole film is that most of the time they're shooting with one Kino and one other like light out of the window. Most of the movie is lit globally. So you can point the camera wherever and it's going to be safe. And the way that they pull it off, because it looks incredible, it doesn't look sloppy mm-hmm. or... or uninteresting in any way they would do uh, light studies for every single room and every single location that they were doing so they knew the window where each room looked its best based off of the arc of the sun and the way that the shades would work and the placement of the windows and they were shooting in incredible houses like they shot in like a Nutra house off of like Griffith Park so like some of the best architectural spots in Los Angeles but still they shot them as beautifully as possible and as conducive to just an organic, beautiful performance from these actors. So, you know, you bring actors into a space and they're, they see a camera and like two or three other people, a very small crew. They kept a small crew the whole time and like one or two lights. And you just feel like you're that person and you're just in the moment. And I, I just was struck by how beautiful approach that is. And also how conducive that is to, awesome filmmaking on a low budget, right? Like everybody can make a room look awesome 
if you've got your timing right. And it's just about being patient and smart about making that plan really awesome. And I thought, what a, what a wonderful tack to take. So my endorsement is uh, Mike Mills's commentary track on beginners. Check it out. And is the only way to hear that is to like buy the DVD or Blu-ray. It is $11 on Amazon. But then you got to have a DVD player, Blu-ray player, but yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Really making us jump through hoops. Worth it. (laughs) Worth it. Okay, cool. We'll check it out. Um, I guess my endorsement will be for uh, a YouTube channel called uh, NerdWriter that I've become quite a fan of. So if you look up NerdWriter1, I started following this guy when he uh, just kind of started out. Well, maybe a couple, a year or two in, but I think he had you know 30,000 followers or something. Now he has like half a million. But he really does basically uh, an amazing media studies, media criticism dissertation once a week about varying issues. And and, um, they're just fascinating. I mean, he did one on Rihanna's uh, track work that was like a whole history of like, you know, that genre of music. And I learned more things than I thought I possibly could, you know, about (laughs) about music. Um, But uh, also, you know, he does a lot of film stuff. He did one on uh, Alfonso Cuaron's Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. But he also did one on uh, Children of Men, which I think might have been the first one I saw. He's done stuff about Picasso. It, it, it's pretty varied in the stuff that he covers. Um, poetry, just a little bit of everything. Uh, understanding art is a really good segment that he does. And uh, and actually what I like so much about it is that I actually think that the pieces themselves, the, the YouTube videos are pieces of art in themselves. Mm-hmm. They actually elevate you know, what he's talking about, which is pretty hard to do. It's like listening to a really great college professor. So I highly recommend, you know, just binge watch uh, all the all of NerdWriter 1. NerdWriter number one. NerdWriter number one. I'm assuming he's going to start a second channel. So. <laughs> cool. I'll check that out. Um, yeah, as usual, I have really crappy endorsements this week. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were I yeah, you well, had a good one this week. Well, I, they're crappy because it's like everyone already knows about them, but I'm just excited about them anyway. Hey, so go ahead. Last <laughs> night was like the best Game of Thrones episode ever. Uh, you yeah. should restart this one. Don't give it the caveat, man. This is a totally good one. <laughs> no, everyone, everyone that is us that would listen to this podcast has probably already watched that episode and been like, how the hell did they get those horses to crash into each other? I think <laughs> like, you, genuinely, I think you were underestimating. I, I will say this. The two people who have talked to me about that episode are in this room right now. Oh, really? Well, I was at Sawhorse yesterday where Jarrett was, and I just stuck my head out the door of the editing vein. I was like, anyone see Game of Thrones last night? And like everyone like erupted like, holy shit. Yeah, crazy. Everyone did see it, but did they like look up the, the behind the scenes video <laughs> well, to learn how to do the VFX? Well, that's th- what I'm saying. That's, that's I don't know. Extra, but that's the Orin Kaplan. Extra <laughs> I actually like emailed this VFX house that I know. And I was like, did you guys see that episode last night? Were those horses real? Like, what is going on? And then they, they're the ones that are like, here's two behind the scenes videos. So we'll, we'll post. I mean, this episode came out yesterday. So these behind the scenes videos came out today. You know, because obviously they weren't spoiling anything ahead of time. <laughs> All right. So, so, so set it up. Give, give us the overall context here. Yeah. So basically there's these this amazing, amazing, unshootable battle in Game of Thrones yesterday. In the episode's called Battle of the Bastards. And I just had no idea how, how they did it. I couldn't even... It just looked super real. But they had horses crashing into each other. They had people just... You know, chopping each other's heads off, just like insane, insane stuff. It was incredible and and really subjective. Like you really felt like you were in that space. Like I remember, my heart was racing mm-hmm. in a way that Karen, like, my wife, was like, 
she couldn't watch. She was yeah. like so tense. It was like uncomfortable yeah. to watch it with her. Sorry. Yeah, I watched Game of Thrones with a big group and we get emotionally invested. But th- this episode in particular, it was just you're there. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. probably better than most big budget movie yeah. battles that I've seen. I think yeah. I, I was blown and, away And by it's it. telling a story. Like every beat, it's like you're seeing the characters' personalities play out and how mm-hmm. they strategize this battle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I just did, could not figure out how they did it. And so nowadays we're lucky because we can immediately look it up. So I don't know. Check it out. We'll put links to the they videos. They just went to Westeros. They, they ran the cameras. <laughs> yeah. It's a documentary. Um, the other they thing just, I they did, shot at Magic Hour. Right? Yeah. They did some time studies. <laughs> the other thing I just watched that everyone has already seen, but it was the first time I watched it, and I was like really impressed and intrigued was Lemonade. Have you guys seen that? I the still haven't thing? watched I haven't Lemonade. Yet. Some, um, some, someone has told me that I must watch Lemonade. So it's not on HBO it. Go, which is why it's hard to watch, because I think Beyonce had some deal with HBO where it's like only airs like live, you know? Mm. But it is on my Time Warner On Demand. So that's where I watched it. And it's like... It's also, it's like a work of art. It's, you know, it's about her. So I, I don't know. I didn't know any of this stuff really in detail, but Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce. Supposedly. supposedly with nah, I think it's pretty much a fact <laughs> with his partner's ex-wife, who's like a fashion designer. I forget her name. Anyway. Like, it's uh, Becky. <laughs> but uh, she made this. I mean, it's very literal. It's not like a metaphor of like, oh, you know, I, my heart was broken and I have gone on this journey. She's like, you came home at 3 a.m. Like, those are, like, literally the lyrics of her wow. song. And you lied to me and you cheated on me. Like, how do you think that made me feel? Like, fuck you, fuck you. Like, it's just, it's, cra- it's crazy how now they're married. And it's, it's, a, a, it's her journey of uh, suspicion of her husband and then the realization that he's cheating on her and then her anger and then her rebellious period and then her coping and then her refocusing on her priorities and her family and her daughter and and how she overcame it and it's all done it's it's a bunch of different directors a bunch of different dps and it's like it's powerful it's like an hour channel your pain into art i think that's what artists do so yeah but you don't expect like you know the biggest pop singer you know in america maybe that was the deal it was like i'm gonna have to make an album about this Right, right, right. Like, like that's the deal, and he's like, okay, like, yeah. I think so. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, so it's weird <laughs> from from that, and that I think that's kind of what most people think. Like, hey, this is how I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to put all my feelings on the line. But regardless, her opening up like that, putting all her feelings out there, and dedicating like I don't know half a year to that process in an artistic way is just really impressive like you don't need to know really anything you just watch it and it's an experience this is a very stupid thing to say but why is it called lemonade no no (laughs) i would love it i would love it if beyonce went back to acting and did like a straight up like will ferrell comedy again like Hmm. she she did uh Austin Powers 3? Gold member. Yeah. Yeah. And she did a hip hopper on MTV back in the day. And I've always found her to be like like a super like funny person. Like like that the same thing that like makes her so like fierce and like intense. Like if you channel it into like Ron Burgundy style like sass and arrogance and bravado, I think is so funny. So I just I, I would love it. For Beyonce to do like just a stupid Adam McKay comedy, it, w- it would be yeah, incredible. You hear that Beyonce, seems... Matt and Lowe would like to direct you. Yeah. Yes, 
Absolutely. She definitely seems like someone that makes fun of herself. I don't know. She's, <laughs> I think she's so funny. Yeah. yeah. She's great. So I'm saying that Beyonce can do everything, basically. Yeah. She can make lemons into... To, to <laughs> Anchorman 3? Yeah. Into music videos. Okay, cool. Well, uh, Jarrett, we, how can we find you? We know about the movie. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, jcon, and uh, conartistpictures.com. It's my website. Oh, cool. And you're on Twitter as well? Is that your thing or no? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as well, Jarrett Conaway. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, man. If you want to find out more about the show, you can follow us on Twitter at JustShootItPod or check out all the show notes, all the stuff that we talked about will be there at JustShootItPodcast.com. Uh, you can find me at Mr. Madden And me at Smitey Pileg. I am uh, apologize. I'm probably going to just promote the, my show. It just came out today. Congrats, uh, man. Too much on Twitter, and then I'll not post anything again <laughs> for like six months. Cool. So so enjoy that, everyone. And like, you know, every once in a while, something else maybe. I don't know. I have very funny jokes. <laughs> totally enjoy those. Yeah, no, Matt posts nice, thing, interesting yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I brag about myself too much, too. Um, but anyway... <laughs> This episode was edited by Eric Capo. Thanks, Eric. Music was by Steve Combs. Take it away, Steve. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.